G'day, Darren Mitchell here, and welcome back to another episode of the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. Another great interview for you today. Um, hope you're appreciating a lot of the good content that's coming your way, and uh, I've got the opportunity of speaking with a number of fantastic people from Australia, but also over the world. And today is no exception. Today I had the privilege of speaking with Mr. Francois Claret, or better known as Frenchie, which we'll, uh, we'll talk about in the episode, and uh, Frenchie is the Sales and Marketing Director at Ames Australasia, a very, very successful business, and a business, through full disclosure, I have the opportunity and privilege of working with in a leadership, coaching, mentoring, and training capacity. Very much enjoying that uh, that time, working with a great bunch of people across the organization. And in today's episode, we talk a lot about authentic leadership and how, as sales leaders particular, uh, 2023 and beyond, we've got to be more and more authentic. And we also talk about some of the challenges that uh, sales leaders in today's market are actually facing as well. So strap in, hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm sure if you're a brand new sales leader, or in fact, you've been a sales leader for quite a while, I'm sure there's going to be some nuggets of gold that Frenchie shares that uh, you can implement in your business straight away to not only drive your sales leadership forward, but also most importantly, to help unleash the potential of your sales team. So without further ado, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Alrighty, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. This is Darren Mitchell and another very special guest coming to me, uh, coming here from all the way over the other side of Melbourne, in Doncaster, in fact, <laughs> which is, which is, it's actually good to speak to somebody uh, that's relatively local. So, Mr. Francois Claret, welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Darren. Good to see you. Thanks, mate. Now, that's this is the only time we're going to call you Francois because your, friend, your nickname is Frenchie. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I've had that nickname for um, for 20 years. So I've been in Oz for 20 years at the end of the year, actually. And yeah, very early in the piece, I um, I had a bunch of mates, which were my wife's mates, and um, they came up with that nickname, which is original for a French guy. And uh, and ever since, it's been a, a state with me. And I think that's because people struggle to pronounce my name correctly. So Frenchy is easy and it works for me. Love it, love it. And I noticed on your emails and even on your LinkedIn messages, it's the same thing. Your signature is Frenchie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, no, it's simple. I was going to ask you actually where that came from. And and there are some people out there that say, well, I actually gave it to my gave it to myself. And hang on, you can't do that because you don't give your own your own nickname. But it's good to see that uh, somebody gave it to you. <laughs> yeah, no, someone gave it to me. And yes, you can't give yourself your nickname. That's cheating. And there's actually people, I've worked with people through different company that I reckon be outpressed to know my real name that only know me by Frenchie. So that's, uh, but that works perfectly, mate. I don't take any offense to it. That's, that's perfectly good. No, it's all good. All good. So Frenchie, really, uh, really appreciate you jumping on to the podcast. Um, you and I, for full disclosure for everybody listening, um, Ames Australasia is, is one of the clients that I'm having the privilege of doing some leadership work with. And um, uh, Frenchie, you are the sales and marketing director of Ames Australasia. So love to have a chat to you around all things sales and sales leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got a very, uh, can, I, can I say a colourful record? And that's colourful record in a respectful way <laughs> because because <laughs> you've worked with some big companies, uh, Coca-Cola, Amatel, Owens, Illinois, um, CUB as well. Yeah. So 
um, love to delve into your, I guess, experiences around sales and sales leadership and talk about some of the challenges we're facing in 2023 and beyond. Um, so before we jump into, I guess, any sort of form of questioning, and I don't know where this is going to go, as we've already talked about, if you can give the listeners a bit of a, a bit of a quick background on on the Frenchy story, you've said you've been here in 20 years, but what um, what got you into sales and sales leadership in the first place? Was there some sort of um, pivotal moment or was it just something that, that evolved? No, I think it's um, it's more something. So my both my parents were in retail all their life, um, as small business owners. So I've always been part of that um, customer service and, and frontline retail um, since, since I was a young kid. I graduated from high school in France. I then went to a, um, a uh, college in France where I did a business degree. Um, and then I just got, you know, I just enjoyed um, dealing with people and all the whole interaction with different internal, external stakeholders. Um, and then from there, I got a job um, after college in France for a big telco, which I hated. So then I went traveling the world on a bit of a gap year, met my wife in Canada, happened to be a beautiful girl born and bred in Sydney, um, and then decided to move in. I arrived here, and the first job I got was with CCA, Coca-Cola Amatol, as a uh, merchandiser. Okay. So I remember they gave me 26 grand a year. They gave me a branded red core car, and I saw it was the best job in the world. Wow. And I loved it. And I, um, from there, I moved through the core rank relatively quickly, um, you know, from Merchy to repping to managing people. And then, yeah, they gave me my first um, sales manager role. So that was that was pretty cool. That was a few years after joining Coke. And um, yeah, that was, um, you know, I'm reflecting back on it. I was very bad at it because I didn't know anything about managing people. Um, but but one thing that CCI did really well back then was to train their emerging leaders and new leaders. Yeah. yeah. So I remember going through a couple of full-week residential courses on how to manage people. Nice. And I'm actually still using some of those techniques. Like I was talking to some of the guys that you're training currently in our team and the feedback's excellent, by the way. Um, and, you know, I know that you took the group through the GROW model, for example. Yeah. But I was taken through that same model almost 20 years ago now. Wow. So it's, you know, but it makes sense. So it's, it's lasting because it's simple and it makes sense. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so did that with Coke and um, and then left Coke, joined Foster's actually at the time before was CUB. Yeah. And then Foster's then split Treasury One and CUB. I stayed on the B side and then I had the chance to do plenty of stuff with them. Really interesting for managing relatively big teams to moving from Sydney to Perth to Melbourne. Um and, and being exposed to a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Um, last job I had under the ABI ownership was uh, teams in Southeast Asia. So in India, um, in Vietnam, in Melbourne, quite a large uh, direct and indirect team there. I was talking about 300 odd people. And mm -hmm. um, you're talking about, you know, managing people remotely and, and with different culture. That was, um, that was a great experience. Then left um, AB InBev at the time for various reasons. After almost nine years, and had a great time with that company um, under the SAB Miller ownership most of the time. And then joined, uh, yeah, Owens, Illinois. So just if people don't know, they're the largest glass manufacturer in the world. So they do a lot of glass bottles. And we and OI sells to um, winery, to CUB, to breweries, to, um, to Coke, to a lot of FMCG players. Uh, and that was, for me, that was a big difference. What I learned, the, the biggest thing I learned from OI was um, the manufacturing aspect of a big okay. business. 
So very um, manufacture um, manufacturing centric business. Yeah. Um, you know, with plants in in all the major cities, and really was about bringing the voice of the customer to the table. Mm. And it was going to the factory and talking to the plant manager about the challenges dealing with customers and why we needed to evolve. So if you think about the beer games, a great example where, you know, when you and I started to drink beer, what were officially probably 20 years ago, but maybe a bit before that, you only had two or three beers in your repertoire. Now you go to the bottle shop and you've got so many crafties. But what that means if you're manufacturing the bottles is instead of having runs of VB stubbies that will go for month end on one line, you got to change all the time. That's difficult for a manufacturing guy. It's not as simple as doing one bottle. Mm-hmm. So you got to take time to explain why we're doing it and why that's critical to our survival. Yeah. That yeah. was that was a big learning. B2B was a big learning. So it was one step remote from the consumer. And then all I ended up selling the ANZ part of the business to Vizi. So then form part of Vizi. And then for various reasons, um, there, there wasn't a job for me at Vizi, which is fine. I would have liked to stay at Vizi. They, they, they were the right um, the right people to take over. I understand they've invested heavily back in the business, which is what the business needed. Sure. Then I was on the market and I came across Ames. Uh, never heard about the company before. So again, for your listeners, we um, we employ about 500 people. So we in, um, we've, we've grown significantly over the last 10 years. We owned by the Griffin Corporation, which is a corporation listed on Wall Street. Um, but we really operate as an ANZ business. Um, we own some big brands that people will know, like Nilex, Cyclone, Heels, Clotheslines, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, um, and right now the team I've got is between sales, marketing, and New Zealand. It's call it about just short of 200 people um, across, yeah, Australia and New Zealand. It's a, uh, it's a big business, and um, it's, uh, it's still a growing business. Yeah, yeah, massively. So we, uh, you and I were talking before. I mean, we were we were some of the industry that were quite blessed by COVID. So I appreciate that a lot of people were hurt significantly by COVID. We did quite well because if you think about if you're stuck at home and you can't travel, chances are you're going to invest in making your house look better. And that's yeah. what happened. And we sell, you know, tools and we sell pots and we sell clothesline and we sell heaps of products that will help you to do just that. So yeah. we, uh, we we did really well. Yeah, it's um, and it's a ve- and when I say you've got a colourful sort of career background, it is because you've got a you've got a mix of um, fast moving goods in terms of you know mm. Coca Cola moving into the manufacturing space and then sort of moving into um, into the into the retail beer space and now when you think about the work you're doing at Ames, it's mm. um, it's huge. So you cover you cover pretty much all bases. I do want to. I t- you touched on one thing there when you talked about the move from. Uh, I think as a rep, making mm-hmm. was it twenty seven thousand, twenty six thousand a year with a, yep, with a beautiful yep, red car. Yep. As a <laughs> cleaning fridges, it was fun. Sensational. Um, I'm interested in your experience making the transition from the individual contributor rep mm. into now being a leader of people. Mm. And what I find, and and I speak to a lot of leaders who have made that transition, and many of them have been anointed as the next sales leader because they've been a great individual contributor but they're not necessarily given the framework or the transition plan to make that a smooth transition. Yeah. So I'd love your, I'd love your experience um, yeah. going back to, to Coca-Cola Amatel in terms of, 
How did you find that transition? Was it something that was easy for you or was it challenging? And what have you taken from that that you still use today potentially? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. It's a big question. I think um, it wasn't easy. So that transition's not easy. And I've got a couple of guys now that have moved from exactly that, being individual performers into people managers. Um, so the biggest thing is, is, um, is your willingness to learn. Um, secondly, is also to let go. Because the reality is if you look at, I'm sure a lot of people you talk about, you, usually you tend to, to promote good performers. So good performers are good at what they do. They're close to the detail. They love to roll up their sleeve and they, they love to get things done. And all of a sudden, for you to perform as a manager, you got to perform through others. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you got to start trusting and you're going to start, you know, briefing people and delegating and you're going to get it all wrong. Like I got it so wrong at the start and you get frustrated because like it's simple. When I was a rep, why are you able to do it? You got to do it like this. And then you fall back into the trap for the first, well, it depends who you are, but it took me a while to go back and instead of coaching people, you're just going to get it done. Yeah. Watch me, I'm going to get it done. And yes, this is, you learn from observing other people. Yes, that's true. But you also got to at one stage step back and go, well, I can't work 80 hours a week anymore because I'm exhausted. So you got to trust people and just like you and me, and you learn a lot from your mistakes. And, and um, yeah, so, so no, it wasn't an easy transition. But as I said to you, Cook was very good in terms of understanding the importance of training young managers properly at the start and giving them those basics. So, you know, yeah. growth is one of them, setting smart objectives, et cetera. Um, yeah, that, that I still use now. And do they give you, as part of that transition, um, some form of like mentor or buddy yeah. or even a coach to work with to make that yeah. transition a bit smoother? Yes, they, they did. So unfortunately or fortunately for me, um, the mentor I had was, um, was probably the wrong person for me. Um, okay. And in reflection, that person was probably just putting uh, – it was um, – you had to nominate yourself as a mentor. I think that person probably did that for personal reason more than anything else and perception yeah. a little bit. But as a result, I had to branch out to other people, some of them my peers, some of them they're still with Cook in very senior position now. And, and you know, we learn together, so to speak. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, that was part of the program. And when you look at that when on reflection, you say probably not the, the right person for you. No. I, had, I had the same experience, but on reflection, I'm thinking, you know what, probably some of the best lessons I got yeah. was from the people who didn't set the example that I thought should have been the right example. So you tend to learn more from the people that oh. perhaps are not giving you the right direction. It's funny you say that because I was, I was scribing a few notes before talking to you and a course that I did as a more senior manager down the track with SAB Miller was, was about leadership. And, and it was about, um, was through um, the uh, Melbourne Business School. Okay. And, and it was, the, they talk about the leadership journey. And, and we had to reflect on our journey. And as part of the journey, you also had to reflect on leaders you had throughout the journey. Yeah. And I had a couple, one in particular, which I will name, um, because he's a good person. He's just not a great leader. And, and I actually learned probably more from that person um, in, in what not to do and how it made me feel uh, walking out of some of those meetings very frustrated. Yeah. Then I have from, from people that I respect now, I respect forever, that were great direct managers of mine or mentors of mine. Um, so, yeah, absolutely spot on. And, and if you actually ask me, 
what a good day at work is, I will tell you a good day at work is when you learn something. Oh, so if, you can have, if you can have a bit of a laugh and you're surrounded by good people and you keep it pretty simple, which we do here at Ames, but you can learn things from different people, that is outstanding. I'll take that any day of the week. Oh, absolutely. And on top of that, it means it sort of presupposes that if you're going to learn something, you're going to have to also challenge yourself on something and push yep. push beyond what you consider to be a comfort zone, or in some cases, push beyond what uh, others might think is a comfort zone because you might not want to go beyond that, but your manager or your leader or your mentor is going to encourage you to take that step. Yeah. And I think, and I think, you, yeah, you're right. And I think you also need to be in that mindset. So, so you gotta, you gotta remain open-minded and I know it's easy to say, but you really have to force yourself because we, our business is a mid-tier size business. So we're not a Coke or a CUB, but you know, we are, um, we are bigger than a smaller business. Um, but it's still things are moving so quickly. So it's easy to actually just go, I know how to do this. I'm just going to get it done. It's yeah. hard to actually take a step back and go, you know what? Let's invite this stakeholder that might not be obvious to that discussion. But then you do that a couple of times and all of a sudden go, oh, that's a good point. We didn't yeah. think about this. Let's explore it a little bit. Yeah. So I think the mindset's key too. You got to be, and as a as an executive team here, we are, I, you know, proud to say that we we adopt that mindset. Our CEO Simon is is very good. Challenges us all the time, all the time to think about you know what are we trying to do, what problem are we trying to solve, who's yeah. the end consumer, what what are they, what do they want in everything we do, not just yeah. business, but the purpose. Why are we here? What's the team, etc. So um so very actually if you if you talk about good managers I've had along the way, he's right up there. Is um you know is is very good, and it's um it's good to have people in your corner like that who challenge you who also uh, how do I say this respectfully don't don't let you get your get ahead of yourself because there are some leaders out there that almost believe oh everything I'm touching is turned into gold mm-hmm. but they may not be they might may not be challenging themselves enough or they might be cruising now you mentioned mm-hmm. before that coming out of the COVID years. Mm. The Ames business COVID was great because a lot of people were staying at home. They had isolation. So what it, what it meant was the discretionary for that. Well, for those that could still work, of course, discretionary income was, was pretty high. Mm. And so they're doing a lot of work at home, which, which meant that for your business, it sort of boomed. Um, so it's easier to, it's easier to, to do well in the good times, but yep. you need to have good people around you who keep you grounded, but also keep challenging you as well. Which kind of leads me to another question, and 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 love your perspective on this because I'm a I'm a big advocate of people are always watching you, mm. and certainly as a leader, we are a walking, talking role model, whether we like it or not. Um, what's been your learning and your lessons over your leadership career so far on that point in terms of how have you had to really be conscious of the things that you mm. say and how you walk into a room. Because sometimes as a senior leader, whether you're looking after 10 people or 100 people, um, often what what you say, people gravitate to and hang off. Yeah. So how important to you is, is, I guess, what's happening up here in terms of your mindset and the example that you set? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's another big question. But the um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's critical. You can't. Uh, so the first thing that I would say is about authentic leadership. I think people see through um, BS very, very quickly. So it's, you know, the, 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 the more authentic you can be to your belief, to your personal values is key. Um, and, and actually, I'll give you an example. So when I joined 
Ames. I joined Ames in January 2021 in Victoria. So we were still in the thick of lockdowns. Yeah. I had a, quite a long interview process with a lot of people. And so all of it was done through teams, just like you and I, and we obviously had good connection with Simon and others. And I asked to come here to meet uh, other members of the exec team. And then I joined and I we were in lockdown when I joined. So I had to join a new business. I'm responsible for back then, say, 150 odd people. Yeah. And, I, and I've met very few of them. And then we had this small opening in April 21 where they reopened the borders. So I jumped on the plane because I've got teams everywhere. And I went and met those people. And I came back in the office with a bit more, a sense of comfort a bit more because I've met few people. But if I compare that to when I joined OI, where I was thrown in the thick of it in an office every day and you know expected to present and to interact with a lot of people, yeah. it, took, it took longer year to gain credibility because people didn't see me physically. Yeah. So, and there's only so much you can relate on Teams or on Zoom. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, so back to your question, I think it's critical. The way that not, not just what you say, but the way you behave, your body language, the way that, you know, you make yourself available and approachable and get out of your direct sphere of influence or your team to go and interact yeah. and be visible in the office. All that is, is critical. Because one, someone told me a long time ago that the hardest, one of the hardest things when you keep progressing and you get in more senior roles is to get feedback. Yeah. Because no one wants to tell the boss is shit. So, so how, how do you keep on getting feedback? So again, I'm fortunate I've had good bosses. I've got an exceptional one now that yeah, keeps me grounded, gives me some feedback, challenges me in a really good way. But if you don't get that from your boss, you only get one version of things. You do, yeah. you do like 360 feedback, which is one of the greatest leadership tools in my view. Yeah, absolutely. How do I keep myself you know, approachable? Hopefully I am. So my teams and other people can go at Frenchie. What you said there wasn't right, or I don't agree, or and then we can have those discussions. That's that's critical. It is. It is. Um, what you touched on there, I think, is is pertinent for any leader, um, sales leader or not, that's listening to this, but also any aspiring leader. Because my experience over the last twenty odd years working with a lot of different leaders from a lot of different companies is there are some that get ahead of themselves and they mm. almost get consumed by the title that they end up getting. And they end up leading, and 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 saying leading is almost being um, kind to them. They're more yeah. managing, but they manage by being absent. So they're very good at sitting. And I know at Ames, you guys have got um, pretty much an open open door policy, um, and it's fantastic when I'm walking around there. There's everyone is accessible. You know, even even Woodsy, the head of HR, yeah. and and Simon as well when he's there. But um, too many leaders lead by absence and that is they'll look behind closed doors they're doing all the strategy stuff working on reports maybe managing upwards and not spending time with their team mm. and they and i and i what i'm saying there is a lot of leaders lose i guess the real reason as to why they've been placed in that position and it's not to manage their team it's to actually serve their team and mm. it's it's and what you talk about is is jumping on a plane when you could when the borders opened up and going and meeting teams, yeah. we can't underestimate the the impression that creates, mm. but also what that means to them in terms of you taking the time to go and meet them as human beings. Yeah, that's how you build trust. Yeah, and and credibility, absolutely. Yeah. But on, and and also, 
you give yourself the opportunity to ask people, um, because I, I went and met teams, but I also met customers. Yes. Tell me what's working, tell me what's not working. And then you just simply observe and take notes. And then really quickly, you, you start understanding where we can maybe fix some things, change it. Nothing was broken when I got here. It was a super fast growing business. So it was probably more around adding a bit of structure and aligning um, our resources towards what we're trying to achieve as well. Um, yeah. so within the first, probably I, I took my time because again, Simon challenged me to, to observe and, and be sure. And we had a few discussions, but within the first, probably four months of being here, I put forward to him what I thought we needed to do from a structural standpoint to, to put us in a, to give us a better chance to achieve what we're trying to achieve. Um, and, and yeah, and you know, that was, I was given the green light quite quickly, um, which also personally reinforced, you know, my decision of joining Ames. At the time I was at two job offer um, that I was considering and the reason I came to Ames after working for global multinationals was I wanted to join a smaller business yeah. where I could have more impact in the in the direction. Um, and yeah, I was given that chance. And since then, it's it's it it is about discussion. It is about you know, have you considered this? Have you spoken to this person? And if it is yes, yes, be ready to get a yes for an answer, which is very refreshing. Yeah, and um, you you said something really interesting just then. And uh, I was almost going to interject and say, hang on a second, Frenchie, did you, did you say when you came in, you spent four months observing mm. before you made any decisions around yeah. possible structure? Yeah. That's very strange because most of the executives I talk to, or, or have, I'm sorry, I've, have observed in corporate, mm. one of the first things they do is change structure because mm. they think, well, I've got to make some sort of impact within the first 90 days and that is my, that is my imprint. Yeah. And to do that, to not do that, I think is is very well. First of all, sensible, mm. um, but is very strange and very unusual in most in most in my experience. Yeah, I think um, there's there's you know I'm gonna I'm not gonna take all the credit for it. I I came <laughs> in with an ninety day plan, and I believe they're a good format, they're a good template to just check in personally. Uh, you know, am I progressing the way I want to progress? I've been trusted. It's an important position in the company, so I need to deliver. Um, but also I was bound by COVID a little bit. So yep. I, I couldn't interact and meet as many people as quickly as I would have liked. Simon did challenge me. So the, the structure that we ended up putting in place, a uh, couple of changes, which were significant changes for my initial recommendations, um, yep. which talking with him over a couple of weeks, then, yeah, we settled on something that we both thought made sense, which is the structure we've got today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wasn't going to rush it because you also need to, you know, I'm very conscious that decision that I'm going to make with Simon will have impact on people's life. Mm. So it's not just coming to work. I mean, it's, it's also people's future and their livelihood. So we got to be respectful and, you know, we, we, I know this is going to be cliche, but Ames is, is a family. Like we yeah. are care for our people greatly. A lot of our employees have been here for a number of years. Um, and again, we keep it simple. If there's an issue, we bring people into a room and we talk about it. So yeah. decision, especially decision around people, we take them very seriously. Yeah. And I like I like hearing that. And and from some feedback, I know you love feedback. Some feedback from me as a uh well, I like to think I'm kind of part of the family because I've been working with you guys for a couple of years now. Um what what strikes me is there's a level of authenticity. And I do want to talk to you about authentic leadership in a bit yep. more detail, but uh, what you say is so true from my observations as well, in that 
yes, there's a it's there's a it's a fairly big company. When we're talking big companies, it's it's probably on the public record. It's it's fairly it's a multi multi million dollar organization mm. without yep. giving the specific numbers, but. From a structural point of view, it's actually quite flat. Mm. So it's not it's not that hierarchical. And there's a lot of people who um, have a lot of value to add and mm. they feel comfortable being at, at that. So there is this collaboration culture that I get the sense of, which is yeah. uh, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, and, I, and I also think that, you know, if we come back to the changes that we made, we, we really spend a lot of time with Simon, with Woodsy, our HRD and other people thinking about the right people for the right role and thinking about, A, what do they want to do? What motivates them? Two, what's their personality? What are they good at? Number three, yeah. you know, they've got aspiration to get into bigger roles. What do we need? Where do we need to stretch them? Which yeah. areas, which competencies? Yeah. And we put all that together and happy to say that if I reflect back on what we've done, we've done, we've done quite well. We, yeah. um, got people now that are performing in the roles we've put them in some lot of them that you're training now and yes no one's perfect and for a lot of those guys it's also exposure to a more formal type of training and and they're responding quite well i mean i yeah. talked to them after each of the modules and i think you're up to four modules now with my senior leaders and they are they're responding really well and you can tell yes you can tell i sit like you said i never close my office door and I sit very close to a couple of them and I'm hearing their language and their language is changing for the better. So I'm hearing a lot of, hey, tell me more about this or help me understand. Like yeah. great question to ask because yeah. you've got to be ready for an answer that's not going to be a yes, no. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is which is, um, uh, which is very pleasing because there's nothing worse than, than working with a bunch of leaders and they don't do and implement it. And coming back, and particularly, oh, we've only started with the, I guess the the new people leadership program. We've just had the first session, but um, up to session four of the senior leaders. What's really, really pleasing is the vast majority of them come into each session with specific examples about what they've implemented, um, and some of them have have had some really great results. Some yeah. of them have had not so great results. But what's what's the great thing about that? Well, they're implementing, and they're implementing and working out what works and what doesn't work for them but through the process they're also continuing to be challenged on this thing called reflection yeah. and it's just reflecting on what's the week what has the week brought to me in terms of the wins but also some of the lessons because that will only pay forward to their team and it will only lift the entire caliber of the whole the whole group which is fantastic now on the feedback part mm. i'll be interested in your on your feedback on the guys that you did travel and, and meet because coming coming in relatively new and coming in the middle of COVID, I would have had previous managers. Um, yep. How was how was that received and, and what did you notice? Because it's a sort of linking into the authentic leadership part as well, but what was the feedback you got from them through doing the, I guess, the the site visits or the the building of the of the credibility by meeting them and, and jumping on a plane? What did you notice about that? Yeah, I think um, it's... Um... It, it differed greatly um, depending on the people. Um, so I had some, you know, if you talk about the field team, so I've got about 120 that are in the field. So I've got three national sales managers all based in Sydney, <laughs> which is, uh, which is, which is fun. Um, so I've done that job. I've been a rep. I've been a sales manager. I've been a national sales manager. So I understand their, their job quite well. But I think the fact that I spend time not only with them, 
but in stores, building displays, moving product, you know, in um, which I love, by the way, it's, you know, yeah, the, the office um, can get a bit um, challenging at times. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, so I think that that went a long way with those guys, just seeing me there and just, I think also the, the fact Simon, before I joined, obviously introduced me, announced that I was coming and, and part of bringing me and other execs in the last two or three years was to bring um, disciplines that we learned from bigger businesses. Yeah. So I think there was a bit of question mark and maybe a bit of apprehension from some people of, you know, what is he going to bring? Is he going to be a bit more hardcore, less family orientated? Um, and so, yeah, so time in the field resonated really well with the field guys. Um, so some people took a bit longer to warm up to me um, and that's okay. Um, and, and there's some people that, you know, on reflection, we're probably not in the right roles um, at the time. So I took over from from a bit of a legend. Um, Paul Sainz is his name, by the way, and he's one, he's our general manager for a business we acquired about three years ago. Um, so I was lucky to be with him for a couple of months. Really cool yeah. handover, um, very knowledgeable. Um, but yeah, some people took a bit longer um, to warm up to me. Uh, but certainly breaking the ice, having a beer with those people in the States and taking time to listen to them and not just about where they want to be professionally, but also personally, um, that goes a long way. I mean, yeah, you know, you, you, whatever time you're going to invest, you're going to get back 10 times. So, yeah. yeah, so I'm glad I did that. If I had to do that again, I would for sure. So for some of them, you wore them down, Frenchie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's always, I mean, you got to have a bit of fun, right? We all work long hours, so you got to be, um, you, you, you got to have a bit of fun. Well, and the, and the, the other thing I'm hearing there is you, you just be yourself, right? So there are so, there's so many leaders that jump into a leadership position and they almost believe that there's a different way I now have to behave. That's almost mm. consistent with their perception of that title and what that title kind of represents versus what do people want? People, people want to know whether you as a as a leader care about them first and foremost, whether you can help them secondly, and whether they can trust you. And the mm-hmm. only way those three questions can be answered is if you become authentic and be you. Mm-hmm. So no matter where you go, no matter what you do, it is yeah. you. Yeah. Which leads me to like the question around authentic leadership. And you've mentioned this a couple of times mm-hmm. um, without putting you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the um, what's the definition from from you? When you think about authentic leadership, how would you, how would you just sort of describe it or define it from your perspective? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it a bit before. I think um, you got to be true to your personal values first and foremost. Um, you you got to be setting up clear goals and holding people accountable to deliver those goals. You, when they do, you got to celebrate success, um, and, and you got to help them if if they're not on track. You got to pause, seek to understand, and then help them achieving those goals. I think that's, you know, you, you're going to be fine out. As I said, like, people will see through BS really quickly. And, and actually, I tell you what, first time at Coke when they said, you're not going to be a manager of, I think, six or seven reps, I tried. And I was like, I was brand new. I was, you know, in my early 20s, and I'm thinking, oh, what's a good manager look like? I look at a few people around the place, and I tried to be, you know, someone I wasn't, simple as that and, and very quickly people just didn't resonate with it yeah and, and i fell for you know six months 12 months and then i started to relax a bit more go okay this you know i know how to do the job of my employees so why don't i just take it a bit simpler and just 
start connecting with them on a more personal basis and and then all of a sudden that worked a lot better for me so yeah so that's you know that's that's um i, I actually work talking about that example at, at oi i worked with a guy that was very very intelligent super smart guy um but but not that authentic and and it didn't last very long and there was you know people saw through it where he could have come in and be himself which was more on the data side of things super yep. intelligent and people would have respected that and there's nothing yep. wrong with that yep. it's to your point people have sometime a preconceived idea of what a good manager is well, you know, the best manager you can be is be yourself. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And and really, when you think about that, you don't have to. You shouldn't have to work hard on being you, no. because no matter where you go, there you are. Yeah. Where it becomes challenging is you've got to start thinking about. Oh, hang on, I'm seeing Frenchie now. So how do I how do I act last time? I've got to try and remember that. And you can do your heading. And yeah. I, and I say this to leaders all the time. And I've said it to your team. All you've got to concentrate on is being the very best version of you. But you also said a really important thing, and that is know what your values are, know what you stand for as a leader and why you choose to continue to be a leader. Once you've got that done, then you don't have to think about it anymore. You can actually just start serving and and helping your team and creating that environment for them to get beyond their comfort zone and to make the mistakes and and move the company forward. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. The other thing that has worked well for me and still works well for me is, is quality versus quantity. Yeah. So the reality is that you, as you start managing people and as you start managing people managers, you're going to have less and less time to do your own stuff. So it's it's about, you know, if I'm going to be half an hour with Nick, one of my um, one of my directs, I'm just going to be clear on what are we trying to achieve? What are we talking about? Where are we at? Tell me I can help you or you can help me. What's your view? But let's just be, you know, let's um, let's really be to the point. Because no one's got a lot of time, it's it's difficult. Yeah. So so this quality versus quantity. Where in the past I would have gone, I need to have a discussion with him for three hours. Well, no, we can nail that discussion in half an hour and move on. That's actually serving him better, so he yeah. can go back to what he needs to resolve. I can do the same thing and move on to the next um, next thing. So with that, what has um what has changed from your perspective as a leader as you've evolved over time, right from mm. the very first days of taking over that team of seven at, at CCA mm. to now being responsible for close to 200 plus people? Um, mm. And you mentioned maybe one of them is time because you've, you've got to make quicker decisions because the mm. expectations is, hey, let's mm. get shit done really quickly. Um, what other things have kind of evolved and changed from a from a leadership point of view that, uh, that you can share with with people who are listening to this right now over the last 20 years or so? Yeah, well, I think um, well, a couple of things. Technology. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've all the, you know, I've got two young kids. I've got two sons, um, 12 and almost 15. And they were, you know, they were nine and 12 when COVID hit. So, you know, as much as it was hard to see them at home and just not being there with their mates, but technology was wonderful. Yeah. So I think it's about how do you use technology? Um, so if you think about even when I started, I remember getting my first BlackBerry as a manager. <laughs> so you, you think about now and the amount of interaction you get today, the amount of email, text, Teams messages, calls, etc. So it's how do you then prioritize what's important? So I'm I'm bad with emails, for example. And I say that upfront to everyone. 
So I recently took over the, the marketing team. Um, it's grateful to be given that opportunity. And I said, I spent time with all of them and I said, hey, look, first and foremost, I'm terrible with emails. So if you need a quick decision for me, don't, don't email me. Please just grab me, call me, text me, because otherwise yeah. you're waiting a while. So it's, it's understanding where you're good at and bad at, and I can't keep up with my yeah. inbox. So technology has changed significantly. Um, I think as you move your question, as you move to larger team as well, it's time. So it's, and you've got your own job to do as well, which, which happened a lot on weekends and after hours, but it's, it's managing your time efficiently. And you can't do that unless you trust your people, unless you've set clear expectation and, and in the form of simple KPIs, but you, everyone knows what they have to do to achieve the common goal. And then you, you tend to have more time to yourself and, and, and invest time in developing people. That's why we get people like you in, because then we know we've got people that are more capable, better trained, um, which will perform better. That's key. So for me, yeah, using technology to your advantage, know, know where you're good and bad at. In my case, email, I'm terrible. Um, time, just, just make sure you're wise with your time, because otherwise it's, it's easy to spend time on stuff that you're more comfortable with and you've got no time for anything else. And, and stay true to yourself that that regardless of technology, regardless of the size of your team. And if you've got no direct reports, um, you, you just got to be authentic. It is. It's um, it's such good advice. And and the thing is, it's not complicated. And no. that's, that's the beauty of it. Right. And I remember Simon Sinek in a video talking about the fact and I actually showed it to your team. OK. Talking about the fact that um, just like parenting. Every just about everybody probably has the capability of becoming a leader. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody should be a leader. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and and I'm sure that you've experienced some that I have as well. That you know there are leaders and then there are managers and then yeah. there are just people who have got no idea whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's and there's also I think people that you know, and we spoke about this a bit earlier. People that love the idea of the title and love the idea of being promoted. But in reality, it's not what they want to do. And I actually found uh, uh, over the last 20 years that you move people on or you just change their position. And, and actually, more often than not, they'll come back and go, thank you. Because yeah. that's actually, I feel much better now. I was in a position where I wasn't, you know, that wasn't my thing. But yeah. I didn't know about it until someone actually had the courage to tell me. And I didn't like hearing that in the first place, but now I'm in another role and I've been there for 12 months and I'm much happier. I'm much happier professionally. I'm a better husband. I'm a better friend. I'm a better partner because that change has been made. So it's, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, to your point, people just, yeah, and I'm exactly the same. You don't know what you don't know until you're in there. And even when you're in there, you don't know what you don't know until someone tells you most of the time. That's it. And that, and that can, and it comes back to that point that we're always learning. And certainly as a leader, yeah. you never, ever, ever arrive, ever. There's Correct. always another level. And just when you think you're close to knowing everything, <laughs> there's, yeah. something's going to happen and say, oh, shit, I know nothing now compared to that. Or what I thought I knew, <laughs> I'm right at the bottom rung of the ladder again. Yeah, which is exciting in itself because it's, you know, you talk earlier about outside of your comfort zone. That's when you learn the best. And, you know, you say that people were telling me that when I was a lot younger and I'm like, mm, I don't know about this. And I, you know, I'm pretty confident in my abilities. But if you reflect back, that's where you learn the most. When you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, yeah, you're, you're learning curves like this all the time. Oh, absolutely. It's great fun. And as a, as a leader, I think that's one of our key responsibilities is to set that example that it's okay 
to make mistakes. And if we're yeah. not if we're not going to cost the business millions of dollars or put people's health and well being in jeopardy, what's the worst possible thing that can happen? And yeah. one of the one of the questions I love asking leaders is you know just to push their comfort zone a little bit. I'll ask yeah. the question: Hey, what was the biggest mistake that you made this week? Today's Tuesday. <laughs> um, what is the biggest mistake? Um, Hopefully, it's not coming on this podcast. No, no, no. That's that's been that's been nice too, actually. Um, the I have to come back to you. I don't. Um, I can't pinpoint one. Um, no, that's okay, but it's in, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because when I yeah when when I speak to leaders about that, and I ask them, and most and most of the time, and it's a generalization, I know that most of the time they say, you know what, I haven't I haven't actually made any mistakes this week, yeah. and that tells me a couple of things. No, yeah. Number one, they haven't pushed themselves far enough this week beyond their comfort zone, yeah. or number two, potentially it also tells me they're operating in a culture where perhaps mistakes are a little bit frowned upon. So it says, hang on, what sort of culture do we have here? Now, I know, speaking with your team, that when I say things like, you know, what's the biggest mistake, they know mm. that they've got people who support them. Mm. That the only way the business is going to grow and to evolve is we become better each day, right? So it's constant never improvement, which means we're going to have to make mistakes, right? Oh, sure. Actually, I, yeah, I've got one. I um, This morning, I caught up with someone that's not directly in my team, but an important stakeholder. And she shared with me. Um, uh, um, she shared with me something she observed in the office that made her feel uncomfortable. And I, um, I actually started to argue with the way she felt. And as you know, you can't argue with the way people feel because that's how they feel. <laughs> um, and I, and I, and I did that for the first call it thirty seconds, let's say, and then I just stood back in my chair and go, "What are you doing?" That's yeah. she, she's kind enough to give me, to share this experience, to give me a bit of feedback. And I'm here arguing about, oh, if that was me, I wouldn't react to this. Well, it's not me. It's her, for starters. And and I, um, so yeah, so that was, you know, it was corrected throughout the conversation, but it was still, it was still my initial reaction was not what it needed to be. Mm. It's um, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And, and when you think about reflection, and I do it all the time. I'm always thinking about, you know, what worked well this week, but also what didn't work as well. And mm. if I if I come up if I can't come up with stuff, it just says to me, hey, Darren, you haven't pushed you haven't pushed hard enough this week, right? So, you know, pull your finger out and do more next week, right? Put yourself in a position where, you know, as you said before, you learn what you know, but then you very quickly learn what it is that you don't know, which you have to start to learn to know. Yeah, no, that's a good one, actually. I um. Yeah, no, very good practice to do. I do um, tend to on a Monday morning or on a Sunday night think about the week ahead. Um, yeah. And as you do that, you think about, obviously, you have to go back on why do I have this meeting now? Oh, yeah, that's right. We spoke about this last week. But, um, yeah, that's that's a good practice to be in for sure. Now, as we – I'm just checking the time. We're, uh, we've been going for nearly – well, nearly 50-odd minutes, which is uh, how time flies when you're having fun, my friend. Um yes. As we as we look forward, and I know if you look at if you look at the economy, we're coming out of coming out of COVID. Um, you know, borders are opening up. Yep. Uh, cost of living is also having some impacts on people. Um, yep. And this is not necessarily a question around aims, but more a leadership sort of question. Yep. As a senior leader responsible for a, a big chunk of business um, in an enterprise, 
what are some of the things that are top of mind for you as you look forward? And when I say forward, I'm not saying next five years, but yep. what, what's sort of top of mind from a leadership point of view in the next 90 plus days that is not so much keeping you up at night, but mm-hmm. yeah, you have to keep a handle on because as we've already said, great leaders are the ones that can actually see before the team can see yep. um, and prepare them for things. What yep. What's kind of top of mind from, from your perspective as a leader right now where we're, where we're at? Yeah, a big one for me is um, there is a risk in, in this environment that people will start, you know, looking around for, for different jobs and different opportunities for a bit more money. And I, and I can't blame people for that. Times are tough. I've got a mortgage and I know that times are tougher now. And so it's, there's this, you know, this, this could be this, this will to move just for a small amount of additional cash. And so, so for us, it's important to then reflect back on why are people working for us and working with us? And it's not just because of your job title, but it's about the purpose and it's about the culture we try to create. Yeah. Uh, and it is about celebrating success more than ever before. But success doesn't necessarily mean financial success. Oh, we've won this new business and it's wonderful. Success is about capability. Success is about processes. When times are tough is when we earn our money. And as leaders, is to have, make sure we've got teams that are more engaged than ever, understand the purpose, the vision, the mission that we've got, which goes a lot for us, a lot bigger than just making money for our shareholders um, and our employees. It's about, yeah, generating this culture that people want to come and work for us. And if they are presented with a, with a job opportunity elsewhere that might pay another 10, 15, 20 grand, they're going to think really hard about it. I love the answer initially to be, I'm not interested. But I'm also a realist and I know that people will go, okay, tell me a bit more about this. Yeah. Upon reflection, you got to weigh the risk. And, and I'm hoping that they'll go, no, we've got a good culture and I'm not willing to take that risk. So, so for me, the focus now is on my people. Yeah. And it's really about making sure, checking in regularly, making sure that, you know, they, they, they're enjoying what they're doing in a, in a tougher time. Yeah. It's... um. As Simon Sinek says, and I've, uh, this is a second reference to him, it's 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 taking care of the people in your charge, um, making sure they're okay, and with, at the at the risk of creating a cliche Frenchie, making aims a destination that people want to come to and want to stay at. We we want to be the best choice, not only for our customer but for our employees. So yeah, yeah. absolutely, that's what we're trying to do. And yeah. it's not it doesn't like to your point, it, it's not difficult. Uh, just be yourself and take time and this is quality versus quantity take time to have real real conversation yeah. if something is not right if someone's upset sit down and go okay what's going on can i help you with anything yeah. and then the answer might no you personally can't help me but the fact that you know you've taken time to ask the question that goes a long way i know it does with me so um yeah that's that's what i'm focused on and it's a, it's a great gift that you can give your team as well because they don't they don't get it in every organization because there are a lot of organizations where you've got people in a in a hierarchy that are there for let's just say number one, which is themselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So um as we wrap up this particular, it's been a fantastic conversation. I greatly appreciate you you jumping onto the podcast. For somebody that's listening to this right now who might be Either relatively new in their sales in their sales leadership career, or has an aspiration to moving into a sales leadership sort of position. Mm-hmm. What's what's one piece of advice that either you've you've been given or you hold true that not so much makes the difference, it makes all the difference, but people can hang on to 
and mm. start to build a, I guess, a leadership philosophy around yeah. um, that you'd like to leave them with? Yeah, it's not going to be one. It's going to be a couple. But I think, I we talked a lot about authentic leadership. So be yourself. First and foremost, be yourself. Secondly, take time to connect with people on a personal um, level. And then when you understand what motivates them, set, set clear goals and hold people accountable. So authentic leadership, be yourself. Set clear goals, quality versus um, quantity. Yeah. And then hold people accountable. I, I love being accountable. I love to be clear on what I need to achieve. Um, so so they, they, they're probably the advice that I'm going to give anyone that's moving into their first uh, managerial role and be patient. Like, it's not easy. It's difficult. Not... I, I was shit at it at the start. Hopefully, it'll be better <laughs> now, but it takes time. Oh, it does. It does. You have to have, you have, to have patience. And, mm. and for me, the only thing I'd add, add to that would be um, understand that leadership's not about you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Which is uh, which is brilliant. So, uh, Frenchy, again, I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your Tuesday busy schedule. Now it's been has been a busy schedule. I know we've had some challenges trying to get ourselves to connect. So, uh, I greatly appreciate um, you jumping on the podcast. If people want to know a little bit more about you, where's the best place for them? I know we. Hey, if if you listen to this, don't send a don't send an email to Frenchy because he won't he won't respond. <laughs> I, t- I tell you, if people want to know a bit more, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, just send me one thing I'm better with is LinkedIn messages. Yeah. Um, it's probably because they're shorter. So, you know, but yeah, so LinkedIn's the best best way to connect with me, DM me, and um, we'll go from there. But thanks for having me, Darren. I uh, really enjoyed that conversation. And and more importantly, thanks for um, for the work you're doing with our senior leaders, with our leaders. Um, I'm not saying that to give you a plug, but I, you know, as I said, I am now observing the language is starting to change for the better. Yep. So I know you're having an impact. So thank you. You're welcome. And uh, it's been an absolute, absolute privilege. And we're, hey, we're only getting started. We're only halfway through. So hopefully exactly. there's more, more good stuff to come. So Frenchie, once again, thanks very much for the for the uh, conversation coming on the podcast. And um, can't wait to listen to this back. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Good on you, mate. See you soon. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.